Well, this past uh, Tuesday morning, really early in the morning, Cindy and I returned from a week-long trip to Alaska. We were up there visiting our oldest son, Drew, and his wife, Cass, and uh, had a great time. We were up there, uh, well, for those who don't know, they work at a Christian camp kind of about 90 miles from the Anchorage area. We were up there two summers ago and spent a couple weeks, and on that trip, we had a chance to kind of travel around and see a lot of stuff. This trip was much more about just being at their place, at the camp, their house, helping them do stuff that they need to do, and so this time of year, it's uh, splitting some more wood, so we... uh, Split wood, and uh, we had to, another day we went out and retrieved some more wood. There's Drew with a pile of trees that he has, had cut down. And uh, you know, most of what we hauled out, so he had felled some trees, and we had about 150 yards to get to the uh, truck. There's an action shot of Cindy, my wife. Um, we had to carry this wood about 150 yards out to the truck, and most of what we hauled was spruce, and it was beetle-killed. It was dry. You know, we, we could handle that, the cast me and Cindy, but some of it was this birch stuff. It was really, really heavy, and Drew cut them in pretty big chunks, and uh, uh, I was not going to carry, I couldn't carry those out. I felt like a 98-pound weakling. I mean, Drew could throw them on his shoulder and, and carry them out, but me, no way. Wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I hate feeling weak. I hate being weak. Most of us do, don't we? We, we, hate, we hate being weak. We hate feeling insufficient. We hate feeling inadequate for whatever life brings. And yet the reality is, I'm guessing for, for many of us in this room right now, there's, there's, there's something in our life, there's a place, there's a situation where we, we feel weak. We find ourselves in a situation of weakness. And it can be all kinds of things. Maybe it's some kind of cha- challenge in parenting. Maybe it's loving someone that's, that's hard to love. Maybe it's living out your faith with integrity at, at work or at school. Uh, maybe you have a sense God's calling you to do something, um, and, and it just seems beyond what you're able. Sharing your faith, uh, leading some kind of Bible study, life group, um, becoming a foster parent, whatever it might be, you just feel weak when you think about what God is calling you to do. Well, here's the good news this morning. Weakness is a good place to be because there is strength in weakness. Teach, scripture teaches that there is strength in weakness. It teaches it, illustrates it all over the pages of the Old and the New Testament, and it teaches it as well. In fact, we, we've just sung about Christ and his crucifixion. I mean, really, the ultimate weakness, his death, was God's greatest expression, ultimately, of strength, right? I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a theme that permeates the pages of Scripture, that strength is found in weakness. And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage in the Old Testament that so clearly illustrates this. It's a familiar passage to many of us. And then I want to look at a couple passages in the New Testament that that articulate, that teach this truth. Now, before we go into this, let me be clear. Uh, I'm not saying every kind of weakness is good. Uh, There's a kind of weakness that we experience because of lack of faith. It is not a good thing. There's a kind of weakness that we experience because of sin and because of disobedience that is not a good thing. Uh, the kind of weakness I'm talking about this, this morning is this just sense of being inadequate for what God has put in front of us, a sense of insufficiency, inadequacy for what God is calling us to do. And this kind of weakness, strength can be found. And so we're going to look at the life of Gideon. Um, you find that story about Gideon in the book uh, Judges, page, uh, chapter 6 through 8, and uh, we're going to cover a fair bit of uh, scripture here this morning, so you can read long or you can turn there. But uh, in chapter 6, we read about how the Midianites had uh, 
well, Israel had done evil like they often did in the book of Judges, and the Midianites for, for seven years had come into the land and just devastated it. They would come in around harvest time, wipe out the crops, wipe out the, the livestock, and uh, they did this year after year. And so in verse 6 of chapter 6, we read this. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. And this is the pattern in Judges, right? I mean, the people, they disobey. God disciplines them with a foreign nation. They eventually wise up and they call out to God for deliverance. And God in his mercy raises up a deliverer. And so that's what what he does here. God in his mercy raises up Gideon. So in verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go. In this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And so... The people cry out. This, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. We find out ultimately this is the Lord. And uh, he calls Gideon to deliver Israel. And so Gideon, he looks at himself first, right? And he feels weak. He looks at his own abilities. My, my family, we're the least in Manasseh. And uh, I'm the youngest in my father's house. In other words, God, I think you've got the wrong guy here. Do you want to uh, maybe pick another uh, person? But the Lord says, I will be with you. And you will defeat Midian. Gideon's strength is not in who he is. It's not in any of that. His strength for what God is calling him to is found in the reality that God will be with him. God will be his strength. And so when the Midianites come into the land again, we're told that the Spirit of God comes on Gideon. And we're told that Gideon summons some of the tribes of Israel. Um, but he's still unsure, and so that's where we have the, the, the famous, uh, God, will you give me a sign? And he, he puts out the fleece two different times, and God is gracious to give him the sign to convince him that God is in this, that God is going to deliver him in the nation. And so once convinced, we read this in chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel will become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. I'm sure Gideon wondered about this, right? I mean, there's 32,000 of him. And the Midianites were 135,000. We know that from chapter 8 in uh, verse 10. God says, it's too many. You, they'll, they'll boast. We did this. And so we read in verse 3, Now therefore proclaiming the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned. 
but 10,000 remain. So it's 10,000 against 135,000. Still doesn't, you know, it sounds like not great situation, right, going into battle. But it's still enough that uh, there's a concern that Israel will be boastful. We won the victory, and so God wants to reduce the number further. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so he has a little uh, test there. They go down to a water source, and everyone who will kind of dip up the water and lap it out of their hands, they're the ones that are going to go. Everyone else will, will not go. And so, verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So here's the situation. Midian has an army of 135,000. For seven years, they've come in and annihilated the land. I mean, they're like, they're 7 and 0, right? Israel, 300,000, or 30, 300, sorry. Uh, my mind is still in Alaska a little bit. Uh, 300, and they're like, they're 0 and 7 the last uh, seven years. They're kind of in a desperate situation, and yet Israel is exactly where God wants them to be, in a place of weakness, in a place of absolute dependence upon God. It's a very good place. Think about what it must have been like in the camp the night before they went out. What were they thinking? What were they doing? I'm sure they were calling out to God with absolute dependence. God, if you don't come through... I mean, it's 450 of them against every one of us. God, if you don't come through, we are annihilated. So, God, will you show up? Will you show up in power? And will you deliver us? They're in this place of absolute dependence upon God. They're trusting. They're looking to him for victory. And that's a very good place to be in our weakness. So Gideon divides the 300 into three companies of 100 in preparation. They're carrying pitchers. They're carrying trumpets. And we read in verse 19... So Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they just posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran, the Midianites, crying out as they fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army, and the army fled. And you go on and read about how the Israelites pursued them and, and conquered them. And so without even lifting a sword, the, the Midianite army is routed. God confuses them as, as the the, the Israelites come around and they, they blow their trumpets and break the pitchers and they begin to turn against each other and then they flee. God delivers Israel, not by their strength, but by his power, by his might. I'm convinced if Gideon, when God first came to him and he had the 32,000, and if he would have said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you're calling me to do, but I will not reduce the 32,000 down to 22,000 or down to, or 10,000 or down to the 300. God, we're going to go with all 32,000. We're going to go with our full strength because we need him. I'm convinced if Gideon would have thought that way, 
they would have been defeated because they would have been trusting themselves, and yet they didn't do that. God brought them to a place of weakness, a place of absolute dependence upon him, and God delivered them. God did it, and God receives the glory. I mean, think about what it would have been like again when they return home and they begin to tell the stories of what happened, right, with their children and their families and, and, and the, the others that didn't go out to battle. They would have been stories of God's deliverance. They would have been stories of how God showed up and worked in power to accomplish this great thing. Weakness is a very good place to be. And so in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 28, we, we find this summary statement. It says, So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads any more. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Weakness made strong deliverance. Now, I think it's important to observe that though God delivered them, the Israelites were not passive, right? They were not passive. They still had something they had to do. They had to rise up and go out and surround the Midianite camp in the second watch. They had to exercise their faith. Again, can you imagine what that was like? I mean, you haven't experienced this deliverance yet. We see it in the pages. We know what happens. We know the end of the story. They didn't know the end of the story. What was it like for the 300 to rise up and actually head out knowing there's 135,000 of them? They trusted. They depended. They expressed faith towards God. The book of Hebrews highlights this expression of faith when it makes this sort of summary statement about Gideon. And this is a summary statement about all the people of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about, but it's about Gideon as well. It says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Weakness is a good place to be if it causes us to look to God in faith. And that's what they did. They put their faith in a powerful God that causes the weak to become strong and they put foreign armies to flight. There was strength in their weakness. And that's a principle that if you read through the pages of the Old Testament, uh, it's illustrated over and over and over again. God didn't choose Israel because they were the biggest and the greatest. It's because they were weak, and he showed his strength through them. You see it in the pages of the New Testament when the church was so small and so little, and, and yet God did these powerful things to extend the gospel all around the world in weakness God shows up and gives strength. There's strength in weakness. I want to look at a couple of passages where, where the Apostle Paul teaches this, where he articulates this principle. And, and uh, one of these, for sure, is very familiar to many of us. But uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes this. Verse 7, he says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, same theme as with Gideon, right? They'll, they'll be boastful if the 32,000. God came and, and gave Paul this, this uh, to keep him from exalting my, himself. He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. He says it twice. 
concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul's conclusion is, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Sure, he wanted whatever that thorn in the flesh was to be gone. He prayed about it, but, but God spoke into his life. God convinced him that whatever weakness that created in his life, that was a good place to be because God's grace would be sufficient. His power would be perfected in weakness. In 1 Corinthians 2, when, uh, when Paul is recounting his to the Corinthians when he showed up and, and ministered there for the first time, he, he describes what it, what it was like. In, in starting in verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in, trembling, in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know, we usually think of Paul as this kind of hard-charging, bold, confident guy, and yet maybe that's just the spirit of God at work in him that we see. He, sh- he shows up in, in Corinth here, and he says, I, I was... I was weak. I was fearful. I was, I was trembling. My, my, my message wasn't in persuasive words. But, but what he showed up and what he did in Corinth was demonstration of the Spirit of God and the power of God at work through his life. He was weak, but there was strength in weakness. And so there's no better place, really, for us as followers of Jesus to be than in, in weakness. Or even as a church, to be in a place of weakness if it causes us to turn to God and to depend upon him, because in that place, God's grace shows up. God's grace is sufficient. Power is perfected in weakness, and God receives the honor then. God receives the glory and the praise for for the things that are accomplished. Weakness is a good place to be. I mentioned at the start that most of us probably find ourselves in in some kind of area of weakness right now, and uh, and so I want to Offer a couple of thoughts, uh, like out of what we've looked at this morning. What, you know, so what? What do we do if we find ourselves in a place of weakness? First thing I would say is I think it'd, it'd be great to remind yourself that, that being in a place of weakness is actually a good place to be. Most of us want to squirm away from weakness. Most of us want to work so hard to get out of a, a place of, of weakness. Um, I know this week as I was meditating on this and, and some areas in my life that, that I really wish were different, some places where I feel weak, it, it sort of came to me the realization like this is a good place to be because I'm absolutely dependent upon God. I cannot affect, I cannot change this situation. I'm absolutely uh, weak in this situation and it was good to be reminded this is a good place to be where I have to depend upon God in this situation. Remind yourself that weakness is a good place to be. And it's never going to feel like a good place to be. It's probably going to feel very uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, when you think of the 300 the night before they went out, I'm sure they felt very uncomfortable. It didn't feel good. But it's a good place to be because it's this place of dependence. It causes us to trust God. And so remind yourself of that truth. 
And then allow your sense of weakness to cause you to cry out to God. Cry out to God. I know sometimes in my life it's so easy to want to, again, you know, make God the last person I turn to, but I work so hard to figure it out, to, to become competent or become strong or whatever. Uh, we should turn to God. We should, we should go to him with our sense of weakness, cry out to him, pray to him, depend upon him. And I have no idea what God wants to do in, in your situation, whatever you're facing, but I do know that when you, when you come to that place of weakness and you depend upon God, you give God room to work, and his grace will be sufficient. His power will be perfected in weakness. And so trust him. Now, sometimes trusting him means we wait, and sometimes trusting him means we take action. And I can't say in your situation what that is. But sometimes trusting God in your weakness means, means you just wait. I mean, there's areas of weakness where, where really all we can do is cry out. Uh, we cannot, there's nothing we can do to change a situation. Uh, we cannot change another person's heart. We can't control another person. I mean, there's, there's so many ways where we may feel weak. All you can do is cry out to God. But that's not doing nothing, right? I mean, that's, that's not being passive. That, that's being active. That's, that's saying, God, I'm, I'm going to wait, but, but I'm going to keep talking to you about this situation. So sometimes wait, our weakness, trusting God in our weakness means waiting. Sometimes it means taking action. In the Israelites, they were not passive. They, they trusted God in their weakness. They rose up and they went out and met the Midianites. And as I said before, I doubt they felt like doing that. I doubt they felt like they with great, you know, strong and, and great confidence. But by faith, they rose up and they went out to battle, the 300 against 135,000. My encouragement to you is if you are clear, God wants you to do something. There's some situation where God wants you to take action. Don't wait until you feel strong to take action. Because usually it just never works that way. I know my experience, uh, you know, in places where I feel weak, uh, there's just no sense of strength until you take action. And even sometimes there's a taking of action and you feel weak the whole way through. But God's showing up and God is doing stuff. I, I was reflecting on this week, some of my early kind of experiences of ministry and, and when I was a college student or early years on staff with crew or even as a pastor. And so first time I shared my faith as a freshman, I was so weak. First time I gave my testimony. First time I led a Bible study as a sophomore in college, I felt so weak. Um, first time on staff with crew, went into fraternity and give a, an evangelistic talk, I felt so weak. Um, the first time I did pastoral counseling or, or, or did a wedding or did a funeral, I felt so weak. I feel weak most times giving sermons. If I would wait until I feel strong, uh, probably none of that stuff would have ever happened. And so don't wait to feel strong. If you're if you know God is calling you to do something, his grace will be sufficient. Rise up, take action in faith. Trust that he will be sufficient in whatever he's calling you to do. So here's a question for you. Have you sensed that God is wanting you to do something, but you've refused to do it because you feel weak? Maybe you've sensed God calling you to have a, a hard conversation with a person. And you know it would be the most loving thing to do, but you know it's just going to be a hard conversation. You feel weak, and so you've hesitated. Or maybe you've sensed God calling you to step into some kind of ministry situation. 
Uh, you know, it could be all sorts of things. Becoming a, a Stephen minister, uh, leading a life group, working with the youth, becoming a big brother, big sister. Uh, maybe God is stirring you up and calling. You have a sense that he wants you to love your neighbor in a certain way, that, that maybe he even wants you to share the gospel with your neighbor, and yet you've not taken action because you feel weak. If you wait till you feel strong, you'll probably never take action. Now, I'm not saying you don't prepare. I'm not saying you don't get training and, and things like that. That stuff's all good. But, but don't wait till you feel strong to take action. If you know that God is calling you to do something, step out in faith, take action, trust God in your weakness. He'll be with you. He'll be with you. Hudson Taylor who was the founder of the China Inland Mission, was once complimented by a friend who, kind of on the impact of the, the mission, and uh, Taylor answered in this way. He said, It seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work, and when at last he found me, he said, He is weak enough, he'll do. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. And that was the promise that the Lord gave to Gideon when he first appeared to him. Surely I will be with you. And that's the promise that Jesus gives to the church. This is the promise that Jesus gives to us as, as we go about the Great Commission. And all that that entails, all the kind of activity the Great Commission entails, Jesus said, I'm with you always, always, always I'm with you, even to the end of the age. As we seek to do God's will in this world, it's the promise of Jesus' powerful presence that gives us strength in our weakness. So let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for kind of your economy of things, how you have determined to accomplish things in this world. You have chosen the weak uh, and, the, and the simple and the foolish to, to shame the wise and the strong and the powerful. You use the weak. And so, Father, may we believe that, that, that you can use us, you can use weak people who feel insufficient, inadequate in so many ways for so many things. Um, help us to understand it's a good place to be. And in that place, God, may we be people that trust you, that we would look to you with absolute dependence and rise up and, and, and either wait or take action, whatever it requires. And may we be people, God, that, that are able then to tell stories of how you showed up in power and, and worked and accomplished things and changed situations, changed hearts, and extended the good news into this world. Father, you, may you be glorified through weak people who are trusting in you to do great things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.